If you have a copy of God's Word, um, please go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 22. Verse 37 is where we will be. And if you have been here at all or if you've been watching online, uh, then you know that for the past three weeks we've been going through a mission and vision series The first week we talked about gospel transformation. The second week we talked about that it is for God's glory. So so we at Community Church, we want to see gospel transformation for God's glory, right? But here's the thing, that just like doesn't happen. It It takes work. It takes doing something I'm going to clarify that a little later on. If, if, we, if this is what we want to be about, then there are steps that we have to take to say, okay, this is what we're going to be about. And so while we were thinking through, all right, if, if this is the banner, gospel transformation for God's glory, then how do we get there? What are the biblical and necessary steps to get there? And, you know, I, I'm not the, the smartest person. I'm not the most intellectual person. I have, the God, I have the Word of God, and so what we decided was, you know what, we might as well just not reinvent the wheel and just teach what Jesus taught. So that's me laying my cards before you if you thought I brought any intellectual strength to this church. <laughs> and what Jesus teaches is this, the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says through these two things, all of the law and prophets are fulfilled. So there's some weight behind that. And he says, then, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel here thinking that we can somehow outsmart Jesus or think of something a little bit more clever and so all we want to be about is while pursuing gospel transformation for God's glory we thought the best way that we could see this happen is by loving God with all of our heart soul mind loving our neighbor and making disciples of all nations and so while you've probably been hopefully looking at the brochure that we have, and if you don't have one, there's, there's some on, um, out by the uh, offering box. You probably have noticed there's this little triangle thing that's going on that says, know God, love one another, serve the community. And so this morning, what we will be talking about is the knowing God aspect of this, because to experience any sort of gospel transformation, it starts with Knowing God. And so maybe we are asking the question this morning, why is this the most important thing that we need to pursue first? Why is knowing God the first aspect of gospel transformation for God's glory? There is no better time right now in the history of the church 
in my life. To call us to refocus on knowing God. Let's not fool ourselves. This past week in our country has revealed a serious problem that has been boiling for a while. And as the church, we have two options on how to respond. We can point fingers or we can confess and repent. The, the church is really going through some hard things as a whole here in America, and, and it's starting to get more and more clear that God very may well be judging the church here in America for its either lack of knowing him and trusting in the political system here that we have set up. And the reason why the American church is in the predicament it's in is because it would rather know of God than know God. We see in Scripture that the people of God in the Old Testament were constantly struggling with this as they have put their trust and faith over and over and over again in kings, in political leaders. And so what does God do? He judges them because God is a holy God and a jealous God. And he wants his people to worship him. And it all starts when we stop remembering and knowing who God is. And so this is the question that I'm just going to ask us today. This is the question that I'm asking you online. If you're watching, do you know God? This is, this is a question for the past year now that I've been wrestling with. Do, do I know God? Do you know God? Or do we just know of God as if he's some type of person, a celebrity of saying, yeah, I know the facts of him. Intellectually, he stirs me up. But this is the question that we as a people here in this church, look, I care primarily about you all. Or maybe that's too Southern. You use guys. I care, I care way too much about you guys to not ask this question. Let's not even think about the, the church as a whole in America. Let's think about right here, the people who are sitting next to you, those that claim to be your brothers and sisters, that you have been claiming to be their brothers and sisters. Do you know God or do you just know of him? This is so crucial. This is so crucial because we come to our text this morning 
It's maybe the longest intro I've ever had. But we come to our text this morning, and we have a guy who's asking Jesus, trying to trap him, who's a scribe, who's, who's a, a religious leader, who's somebody that would say they know God, but yet intellectually they, they know of him, they know all of these facts about him, but the person asking Jesus this couldn't see that God himself was standing right in front of him because he was so wrapped up with this idea that the Messiah was going to bring a political kingdom here on earth. He didn't know God. He knew of him. This was the same of the religious leaders of their day too. as the ones who were supposed to be the keepers of the law, were the ones who killed him. And so this, this, we, we have to wrestle through this question. Do, do we know God or do we just know of him? You see, this is, this is just one of the problems. Most people have an opinion about knowing God. Most people have an opinion about knowing God without ever actually getting to know him. They read and listen to the thought leaders that they trust. They read and listen to the thought leaders of our day without ever getting to know God themselves. And so we would rather trust in what somebody says about God as if we're trusting them saying, oh yeah, I know that person, he's a pretty cool guy, rather than going up to him ourselves and sitting down with him and getting to know him. Because here is the reality. This is the most important thing about knowing God. And this is why I'm saying that we have a problem here. The church is sick. Knowing God those that truly know God, those that truly profess Jesus as their Savior, those who know God, it always leads to love first. Their first reaction of knowing God always leads to love, not divisiveness. Not divisiveness. Those who truly know God, love God, it does not lead to conspiracy theories. It leads to trust and faith and love, which is the most important of the three. And so our passage in Matthew 22, verse 37 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Do we know God or do we know of him? John Calvin, well, you know what? Let me pause here before I go on. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father, soften our hearts this morning. Convict us. Encourage us. Bring us comfort and hope. 
allow us to look to ourselves and see that it's not them, it's us that have a problem. It's our sin. It's that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the dark spirits of this world. So please use us this morning to stir our hearts soft in them to see that you are a gracious and loving God who wants worship from your people. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. The French theologian and pastor, John Calvin, in his kind of the biggest book that he ever wrote, called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He starts off this book in a way that you wouldn't think that he starts it off. He says, the knowledge of God should always lead to the knowledge of yourself. And as I was reading through it, I came across this fancy quote that just kind of blew me away. I'm going to sum up part of it for us. In this quote, what Calvin says is he's giving this illustration. He says, We go outside during summertime. This is a paraphrase. We go outside during summertime and we look at the colors. We look at the roses and how red they are. We see how vivid that color is. We look at the green grass. We look at the blue water. And then fall time comes and we look at the orange leaves that are bright. We look at the red leaves that remind us of campfires. And we think, ah, this is the strongest vivid colors that I've seen. That is, until we look at a power of light that is far greater, a power of color that is far greater, and we gaze at the sun. When I was young, my friends and I would have, this is why I wear glasses, probably. We would have competitions to see who could gaze at the sun at the longest. And it's until we gaze at the sun that we realize that the things we are looking at here on earth are actually pretty dim in comparison. Calvin goes on to say, So it happens in estimating our spiritual goods. This is a direct quote now. As long as we do not look beyond the earth, being quite content with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue, we flatter ourselves most sweetly and fancy ourselves all but demigods. What Calvin is saying here is as long as we're content to look at one another and judge our moral goodness off of our own standards and never look beyond ourselves, we will never see that we 
not comparable to the great light in heaven. And so, why is knowing God so crucial? Because it helps us know ourselves. This is what it's written down in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Don't boast in wisdom or might or riches. Boast in knowing me. When we know God, not just know of God, when we know God and we look at him, we do not set up a standard of our own liking of who God is. When we know God, we look at him for who he is, which leads us into a knowledge of knowing ourselves. And so who is God? We looked at this a little bit last week. We saw that, that God is holy, holy, holy. He is not just holy or just holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. This means that he is absolutely perfect without blemish, without spot. There is not one ounce of sin or evil within him. He is perfect. He's righteous. And so what this means, what this causes us, what this should cause us to do is then look at ourselves and ask the question, do I measure up to that? God in his word says, be holy for I am holy. If I am to be holy for he is holy, what does this look like? What does this mean? Because there is this infinite holy God who is perfect and he is calling me to be perfect, do I measure up to that standard? And the question is no. Even this morning, from the time you woke up and got out of bed to the time you sat in this chair, all of us have at least sinned or have been tempted to sin. And so the standard that we are to live up to is God's holiness, God's perfection. And we cannot do that. And so the knowledge of God, knowing God, should cause us to see ourselves that we are sinful. We are not God. We cannot be these demigods that Calvin here is talking about because no one is righteous. No, not one. But here's the problem. If we do not know God, if we do not look to God and his standards, then what we do is we look out and we judge. We judge the world based off of our standards instead of God's standards. And we look at others and say, well, at least I'm not like them. The one who lies says, well, at least I don't steal. And the one who steals says, at least I don't commit adultery. And the one who commits adultery says, well, at least I don't murder. And the cycle continues to go on. And so the knowledge of God 
Knowing God always leads to knowing ourselves better. It shows us that we cannot live up to the standard of God's law, but it also shows us that there is one that has. That God in his infinite wisdom and love knew that we would not be able to live up to this standard. Knew that we needed a savior. And so he sent his son Jesus to do that. And Jesus lives the life that we were called to live. He fulfills, he fulfills, get this, fulfills the law. It becomes a sacrifice for us. Take our sins away. Knowing God first and foremost always leads to knowing ourselves, which directs us then where? Back to God. Because if he has saved me from such a great judgment, if he has saved me from my sin, then how else should I respond? I should respond in love and admiration. You've saved me. I didn't deserve this, but you've saved me. The chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, the most vilest of sinners. I didn't do anything to deserve this, and yet you looked at me with love and said, I am going to send my son to die for you. And he does it. And so our response is love. Knowing God leads first and foremost then to gospel transformation. Not knowing of God. Knowing of God is how this lawyer, how this scribe asks this question. He just wanted an intellectual debate with Jesus. True gospel, true knowledge of God leads to gospel transformation. It leads, knowing God shows us that we aren't God. And knowing God shows us we need God. And knowing God shows us He made a way. But there is something more important than just knowing God, and it's being known by God. Those who are known by God are written in the book of life. Those who are known by God are his children. His precious children. Who are heirs and co-heirs to the kingdom of God. When you just know of God. You are not known by God. It's as if, let's just play along with this illustration. I were to say, yeah, I know of Aaron Rodgers. He's a pretty good QB, probably will be a Hall of Famer. I think I read on this website that he loves the color purple. Actually, I think it's, I think it's blue and orange. His favorite restaurant 
was uh, a Brett Favre steakhouse. Yeah, he loves to vacation in Hawaii. I know, I know of Aaron Rodgers. It's a lot different. And I know him. And he says, I know Max too. Do you know God? Or do you know of So how do we know if we are known by God and if we know God? This is where the bulk of our passage lays this morning. This is where I just want to take some extended time in this point, the the knowledge of God, knowing God, being known by God, always leads to loving God. This is, this is the summary of our passage. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, <clears throat> with all <clears throat> of your soul, with all of your mind. Because the person who is known by God is indwelt by God and can't help but love God. And so let's just take some time to talk about this word love. What does this word mean? This word love, you shall love the Lord your God, is the Greek word agape. This type of love that Jesus is saying here expresses sacrifice, it expresses charity. It expresses this, this deep love. Saying, I'll go through anything for you. You have my heart. This is the type of love that Jesus is expressing here. When he says, you shall love the Lord. You shall live for the Lord. He shall have your heart. This type of love, if, if we could just give this word right here, love, a verse, it would be pick up your cross and follow me daily. It, it could be in Romans 12 when he says to live as a living sacrifice. This, is, this type of love that Jesus is communicating here is this, I'm counting the cost. I'm looking at everything this world has to offer and I'm saying, I don't need any of it. Because I've got the Lord. And so with this type of love, he then goes on to say, you shall love, you shall sacrifice for the, you shall live for the Lord your God. With what? With all of your heart. Jesus has never wasted a single word in his life. And there's a reason why he's being redundant with all. Did you pick this up when we read it? Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus is giving this commandment, he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all, it's as if he is saying the totality of you. We come to this first, the heart, and, and in, in here what Jesus is, is trying to communicate is your will, your being. 
You shall love the Lord with your whole will, with everything you've got. And we see those two words before heart, and what is it? With all. So you shall love the Lord with all you have to give to Him. Your whole entire life, your whole entire will. With all. Your soul. This is your affections. This means, this is what Paul says, I'm counting everything as a loss, all of it. Do we not remember who Paul was? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had it made for him. He was on the fast track. He had the status and the reputation, the power, the approval of others. And he throws all of it away because his affections are so stirred for the true and living God that he says, I count it all as a loss. Excuse my language, but this is what he literally says. I count it as rubbish, which means in our time, I count it as crap. All of it's garbage. It's waste. It's dung. It doesn't matter because his affections were so stirred for the living God, for Jesus, that he counts all of it as a loss. This is a man who knows God and is known by God. And we read those two words before it again. With all. With all. With all of your affections, you shall love the Lord. And we get to this last one, mind, your intellect. With your whole mind, taking every thought captive, directing your thoughts to the Lord with all your mind. We settle so much for this one. We don't want to put in the work for this one. We've got a problem in the three of these. We all struggle with the three of these because we still have the pesky indwelling sin. And so with my heart, my heart wrestles within me, my will saying I'm going to count it all as a loss. But Jesus, except if I really have to say this hard truth to my family, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to upset them. I don't want to have to say that this political party or that political party is in the wrong, that both political parties are completely messed up. Because I don't want to have to count that. I don't want to have to be looked at a certain way. I would rather be known as going with the crowd than solely sold out loving you with all I have. God, my affections, I, I do love you, but I just love my retirement a little bit more. I just love my cabin a little bit more. I'll, I'll follow you, but please just don't take that stuff away. Don't take away my job. 
I love you, but, but please just let my kids go in the right direction. You have my affections. Unless it doesn't go my way. And my intellect. I refuse to believe in a God who's like that. Because I once heard this pastor or that thought leader, I once read this book that said this thing. And so I don't, I don't want to believe in a God who's like that. And so I'll, I'll believe in this kind of God is love type of thing. Or I'll believe that, I don't know, So we let our sin influence all three of these areas instead of saying, no, more. God has given me a spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so from this forward on, I am battling against this sinful man. This indwelling sin, I'm taking every thought captive. I'm pressing on to make Christ Jesus my own because he has made me his own. Do we know God or do we know of God? This type of knowing God leads to love obedience, not duty obedience. This type of knowing God leads to caring about what he cares about more than maybe what we think we should care about. Knowing God leads to boldness for God. Knowing God leads to counting everything as a loss for the sake of knowing God. All right. This is how I just want to end because I want to end like this. I'm going to conclude in this way. And, and uh, Greg and Dave, you can take your time because I, I just don't know how long this is going to go. So... <laughs> Who in the Bible can we turn to and say they knew God? This is how I'm going to live. I think it's so fitting. And if you want to go into detail, this is, this is totally, um, I'm going to give credit for this. This is not your pastor's wisdom here. This is just your pastor loves to read. And so in a fantastic book, one of the best books, if not the best book of the 20th century, Knowing God. This is how he starts off this, by saying, what does it look like to be a person who knows God and is known by God? And he, I think it's no more fitting in our time than to look to Daniel. He looks to Daniel and he says, Daniel is a man who knows God. Let's think about it. All of the political mumbo-jumbo that Daniel was facing in his day, being told, no, you're supposed to go to this side. No, you're supposed to go to this side. Daniel knew that he was in exile. He knew that there was only one person that he served. 
Daniel knew that a king was not going to bring the promises that everyone else thought that he would bring. Because he knew God and was known by God. What about Daniel's friends? Being told to bow. All right. Knowing God and being knowing and being known by God leads to a love of obedience. And what does that look like? That looks like boldness for God. That looks like obedience, even if it means that you have to count the cost to God. It means a dedication every day to knowing God more. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den for reading and praying to God. (laughs) And we complain about wearing masks. Come on, people. (laughs) Daniel's friends were thrown in a furnace for not bowing down to the political kings of his day. we want to say conspiracy theories are going on. Church, do we know God? Or do we know of Him? So here, you want some practical application to get to know God? Read the Bible. Talk about the Read the Bible some more, and then read it again. You want to hear God speak to you out loud? Read the Bible out loud. Read it again. Read it over. Maybe you're saying, I'm just not that good of a reader, Max. There's a great app called Dwell. It actually speaks the Bible to you. Not only does it speak the Bible to you, there are these awesome different voices that you can then listen to. I listen to my man Felix. Felix is an African voice. And he has this rich, just sage voice that when he's saying, I'm just like, yeah. So you want to know God? Read to him. You want to know if you know God or just know of him? Start asking the hard question, where is my allegiance to him? Am I only willing to go so far? Am I counting the cost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus? Am I obeying him out of duty or love? Because here's the reality of this passage. All right? The very person that asked him this question didn't know God, knew of God. It's the religious leader of the day hoping for a political Messiah. He knew all of the right things to say. He knew when to go, "Mm, amen. He knew when to say, God bless, brother. Godspeed. I guess nobody really says Godspeed anymore, but I think you get my point. 
this Pharisee and this, this scribe knew when to say all of those things. His obedience to God's word came out of duty. It came out of a cold heart. And our obedience to God, we should fight day by day to be in obedience of love. Because if Christ has done such a magnificent thing, if Christ has died for us, if he has saved us from the wrath of God, then why wouldn't we fight for love obedience? Why wouldn't we fight to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind? And so this is how we here want to see gospel transformation. By knowing God, which leads to loving him. That's the sure and steady way to see gospel transformation for God's glory. Let's pray. God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And only you deserve our glory, our honor, and our praise. Earthly kingdoms come and go, but your heavenly kingdom will never fade. And right now, we have a king, our King Jesus, our big brother, who is sitting on his throne, ruling victoriously. And we know the end result. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail. But until then, until you call us home, give us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of strength, love, and sound mind. Let us, God, press on towards you, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Father, let it be here with us as a family, the family of God, to press on to know you, to really know you, to experience you, not just to know about you, not just to know of you, but to know you, to go to you like a father or a daughter goes to their dad. asking any and all questions that life throws at us. I pray this in your son Jesus' name.